Open up your Bibles to the book of Jude. And if you're following along in the outlines, we just have one point left uh, in the last outline that we're working on. And then we'll uh, begin the next set. So one point left on the certain condemned creepers as we look this morning at verse 11 in Korah. And that's where we'll start. And we've talked before about the devastation of beginning a verse with woe. And that's what we have here in verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the era of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. This is significant when a writer speaks of how earnestly we are to contend for the faith, and he speaks of the diligence uh, in his own writing, and, and, and we can read into that diligence that he references back there in verse 3, that his flesh was warring against him, pleading almost that he not write this letter. This might sound like a conundrum to someone who's never wrestled with the new man, old man that we just talked about in Colossians 3, but the flesh does this constantly, does it not? Whenever we're close to the Lord's work, whenever we're close to being somewhat faithful, the flesh itself seems to get tight. It seems to restrain or pull against our progress with the Lord. And what we see in verse 3, and I just want to read that again, Jude says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. i got to confess the reason we've been teaching Jude since the beginning of the year, in parallel with our study of discernment since the beginning of the year and answering all those questions we proposed at the end of last year, is because this perimeter faith, this perimeter worship that seems to be so prevalent in our Baptist churches today is quite frankly not enough. The skimming the surface, only showing up on Christmas and Easter as though we were Roman Catholics, only really opening our Bibles when we're here. You get what you paid for. What you've put in, what you've invested in understanding the Word of God, without diligence, without earnest contention, you will have a woe like what we have in verse 11. Now, the last Sunday we visited this, we talked about Cain. We talked about Balaam. And in a lot of ways, they had a surface wisdom of that which is righteous. Now, let us consider Kor. Now, this is the New Testament spelling, C-O-R-E, but you notice it's a capital C. So, turn with me over to number 16, and we'll see Korah, beginning with a K. This is the Old Testament uh situation that's being referenced here. Numbers chapter 16. According to Strong's, uh, if you were to look up this core, C-O-R-E, it would tell you that it is referencing uh, an Israelite. And this is he, the Israelite. Number 16, verse 1, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the son of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. We see the, the genealogy that we've been seeing so often in Genesis continues to come forth, and it points all the way back to the son of Jacob in which uh, Korah comes from, which is significant because we're just beginning to look at Reuben uh, in our Wednesday night studies. Verse 2, And they rose up before Moses 
with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses, against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Now if listening to verse 3 made you feel a little icky, you know your Bible pretty good. When it says, you take too much upon you, uh, there are times, and we'll talk about that in main service, when that phrase is not really coming from a heart of concern, but uh, a heart of usurping, if you will. A heart of, the, I mean, these are famous men, men of renown that we see in verse 2. Uh, what they're offering here isn't really a, to be a help to Moses and Aaron. And then we see at the end, um, or middle of that verse, verse 3, I'm talking about the entire congregation being holy. Does this sound like the like Israel? From what you know of Israel, the nation of Israel, they are all holy. Now, they are sanctified. They are set apart. They are being used. They are being led. They are being fed. But are they holy like he is holy? Is there a differing degree of holiness between what God is, which is absolute holy, and what their claim here is of the nation of Israel in being holy? We, we see a, a little bit of a good enough here, don't we? Verse 4, and when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. Yes, I think there's your confirmation. And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do take you censers, Korah, and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Here I pray you, ye sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? This is a verse in Jude lining up a lot of false prophets. Korah is falling right in line with what Jude is referencing. Verse 10, And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also. For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron, that ye murmur against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of a land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Before we go into verse 15, I just want to speak to what's being referenced there. Was it Moses that had such little faith to not proceed into the promised land? Or was it, if you recall, an evil report brought back by the scouts that caused such fear and murmuring that they could not enter into the promised land? You see how things begin to get skewed. And this is how, most of the time, this is how these heretical false prophets work. Even in today's age, they start to twist the words. Thou shalt not surely die. Is not all fruit good for eating? They start to twist things in a maniacal way. 
And they point to truths as an evidence of something that which is false. In verse 15, And Moses was very wroth, and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. And Moses said unto Korah, Be thou and all thy company before the Lord, thou and they and Aaron, tomorrow. And take every man his censer, and put incense in them, and bring ye before the Lord every man his censer, two hundred and fifty censers, thou also, and Aaron, each of you his censer. And they took every man his censer, and put fire in them, and laid incense thereon, and stood in the door of the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. Up to verse 19, we see reason to rejoice. Because in verse 19, the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. It is a wonderful thing when the Lord reveals himself in a situation. But understand, his decisions are swift. His actions are as thief as a thief in the night. There, there will be no delay. There will be no, whoa, 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 I didn't mean it. There will be, I, that's not how I said it. He understands the heartstrings. Whether you blunder the words out in a clear fashion or not matters little. He understands the motivation behind the words. This is not a misunderstanding what we're about to read. It didn't accidentally happen to Korah, is what I want you to understand as we go forward in this chapter. It was deliberate. It was the glory of the Lord himself that appeared under the congregation that handles this business. This is the same God yet today. As we hide a little, share a little behind closed doors, he knows of all the motivations that lie within our hearts. He knows if we do indeed love him, if we do indeed love the brethren. He also knows this same wickedness that Korah is bringing about. Verse 20, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Does this sound like a loving, merciful God? Absolutely! He calls for his to separate themselves, but he's going to consume the others. And they fell upon their faces and said, O oh God, the God of the spirits of all the flesh, shall one man sin, and wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you back from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses rose up, went unto Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spake unto the congregation, saying, Depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest ye be consumed in all their sins. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and every side, on every side, and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents and their wives and their sons and their little children. They don't know what's about to happen, but they've received a commandment of God. Through his servant, through Moses, they've received a commandment of God. Moses said, Hereby ye shall know that the Lord hath sent me to do all these works, for I have not done them of mine own hand. If these men die the common death of all men, or if they be visited after the visitation of all men, then the Lord hath not sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, and the earth open her mouth and swallow them up with all, the, with all that appertain unto them, and they go down quick into the pit, then ye shall understand that these men have provoked the Lord. Now you already know that. The verse in Jude, verse 11, begins with woe. But listen to what happens. 
Verse 31, And it came to pass, as he, made, as he had made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder that was under them. This means it tore open. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. They and all that appertained to them went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them. And this gives evidence to what that may have sounded like, because it references the cry of them. For they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And I believe that speaks to their guilty fear. They understand there's a bit of wickedness in them as well. Verse 35, by the way, verse 34 seems to be a very strong contradiction against verse 3, does it not? The congregation must not be all that holy. They fear the Lord. They understand their depravity, their wickedness to a degree of we could be consumed as well. Verse 35, and there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eliezer, uh, Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning, and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are hollowed. The censers of these sinners against their own souls, let them uh, make them let them make them broad plates for a covering of the altar, for they offer them before the Lord. Therefore they are hallowed, and they shall be a sign unto the children of Israel. And Eleazar the priest took the brazen censers wherewith they went. Uh, they that were burnt had offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar. Uh, and we don't need to continue uh, necessarily with that chapter. So this is Korah. Korah thought he was clever. Clever Korah. Clever Korah, the creeping condemned one, who sought to divide God's people, sought to uh, take authority that was given unto Moses and divide it up because Moses had too much upon him, sought to divide God's people because uh, they were somewhat focused and hitting in the same direction with one another, but Korah had another plan. Korah had for God's people another option. And all condemned creepers do. Jude warns of certain condemned creepers. He gives specifics of three different ones. We discussed the other two a couple Sundays ago. But snuck into the Lord's people, into their congregation, and given them something evil, in place of something good. His followers and himself rejected the divine authority given to Moses. They tried to assume power for themselves. False teachers always promote themselves and override the authority of God's servants. They will be judged, as were Korah and his followers. Listen to this. 14,700 died of the plague. 250 consumed by fire. Korah Dathan, Abiram, and their possessions swallowed by the earth. And their possessions. Not a lick of their livelihoods was worth a salt to the Lord. It was swallowed up and consumed. We see folks in our daily lives that dabble with universal invisible churches. Reformation, Lord help us. Home church. There's only one who's holy. And he's given us commandment on how to follow him. We ought to be about this work. We ought not to be comfortable with just saying, well, we won't be in the bride, but we'll be at the wedding. We should desire to be the bride. 
we should desire such a closeness with God that that makes our decisions for us. Will I? Won't I? If the Lord have it, be so, I will. If the Lord would to have me to go to church, I'll go. If the Lord would have me to tithe everything I own, I will do so. If the Lord would have me drive to Florida within a moment's notice, I will do it. If the Lord would have me to, and so on, and so on, and so on. What saith the Lord God? What saith his word? Uh, our books, we, we probably look at this Bible and think, this is a thick book. I will never probably consume a book this thick, let alone multiple times. But our book of excuses is ten times this big. And we read it to folks like we're proud of it all the time. I couldn't possibly because of this. I couldn't possibly because of that. I couldn't possibly. And sometimes we think they're good reasons. Work, kids' sports. There's a reason those things weren't on Sundays 100 years ago. There's a reason that time that was sanctified before was respected. But, beloved, we've had some canes, some Korahs, and some Balaams over the years come in and convince us otherwise. No, we don't get to blame the world. And no, we don't get to blame the presidents. And no, we don't get to blame politics. And no, we don't get to blame our bank accounts. We're the ones who decided at some point to sit down when we were called to stand. We are the ones who have forsaken him. There might be a woe upon us this hour because of our faithfulness unto him. I don't stand here as an example of perfection. But I can tell you in the, in the times in which I've been most faithful, it'll blow you away. I want you to turn over to Ephesians with me. And you'll forgive me, I may have to look for it for a minute. Because uh, it's not in my notes, but it is on my heart. Not the book itself. I ought to be able to find that. But uh, the specific chapter. There's a great many things that we see laid out for us in Ephesians by Paul. In, it, in chapter 5, just skimming over it, it opens up the first seven verses talking about how we are to walk in love. And you can read that as forsaking not love as we walk. The next section of that same chapter, chapter we're called to walk as children of light, to walk as Christ walked. And you could also understand that to be forsake not walking as Christ walked. Walk not as fools. That's the next section there. And you could also read that as forsake not your foolishness when preparing, when, when those souls, those, the, the, our feet being prepared or shod for, with the gospel. We will go out as fools if they're not prepared or shod with the gospel. We're called in Ephesians 6, 18 to pray always. Stand, in verse 14, as we talked when we were looking at the armor before. All of this to say that he is able to do that which is exceeding and abundantly more than we could ever think, hope, or ask for. I've seen things in the last ten days that have shocked me. Just utterly shocked me. And I'm going to say the next phrase, not in an arrogant way, 
but just in a and it doesn't make sense way i'm a preacher i'm a pastor i should have faith enough to be able to say well we should have expected this to happen but the things I've seen in the last 10 days I didn't expect to happen, which is a testimony to the lack of faith that I still have in my heart. And that means I'm not representing that faith as I should unto you all. What he was just brought through is nothing less than a miracle. And the purposes of God have come forth out of it. We might think somebody coming into a, a, an infection of that nature, somebody with an injury of that nature, somebody that has to go into an amputation of that nature, that can't be of God, but certainly God will respond to it. That's not a faithful way to pray. It wouldn't have happened if it wasn't permitted of God. And it is already being greatly used of God in ways in which I couldn't even possibly hope to fully illustrate for you. There'll come a day, and maybe sooner than later, because of how he's woken up and how he's responded to things, there's going to come a day when our brother looks at the list of things that the Lord directly answered from the prayers that we had together last December, and he's going to say, I can't believe it only cost me my right arm to see these things happen. I can't believe that's all I lost to see God work in such a powerful and majestic way. You know, in the last 10 days, in all reality, I should have been there doing a funeral. The surgeon, after the third or fourth surgery, told Cassie that uh, when he handed her the paperwork that she had to sign, giving them permission to do the amputation, he thought Nate only had 10 minutes left, if that. And we could talk about the wickedness of this bacteria, the, the vileness of its spread, but I would prefer you think in context of this message, that's your sin. On the outside, he had three scrapes, and after a day or so, a dark bruise. Some of us are real good at hiding those signs of sin, are we not? And this thing, and I don't say this to say because of sin in his life, he went through this. That's not at all what I'm telling you. I'm telling you to think of this uh, ne necrosis fasciitis that he's dealing with as a type of our own sin because it runs wild this thing didn't need oxygen it spread and it spread and whatever was in its way bone tissue muscle it ate it devoured and that's exactly what your hidden sin is doing in your life right now you call and tell me you can't be here or you show me an empty pew as a sign that you can't be here sure this isn't the spring meeting sure this isn't the lord's supper it's just a Sunday to you. But what of that sin underneath the flesh that's running amok? What of that darkness that is killing you from the inside out this very hour? This is not a pastor taking advantage of a convenient time to give you this illustration. I've been talking about death for two months. Go back and listen to these messages. Beloved, sin has one outcome. Death. But Jesus Christ brought forth everlasting life. Do ye now believe? Don't pacify the preacher and say, Oh, I believe. It means nothing. The seven sons of Sceva go in and they say under the authority of Christ, the authority of Paul, they try to drive a demon out of a man. You know what happened to them in the book of Acts? They ran from that building naked and bruised. The devil chewed them up, spit them out, left him empty he's going to do that with all of us 
Any of us that give in to sin, that's exactly what he's going to do. He is as a roaring lion looking to devour. Uh, anyone in the room ever survived being devoured by a lion? Ever heard of a story of one surviving being devoured by a lion? No, we don't have too many of those stories, do we? God is either good or he isn't. And if he's as good as the Bible says he is, then you can bet your bottom dollar evil is as evil as he says it is. That wickedness is as wicked as the Bible says that it is. And it is as easy to fall into and as all-consuming as the Bible says that it is. Listen to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses 10 through 22, he says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. I'm going to keep reading, but think about that verse. They shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Now, up to this point, you could read what, what Peter's saying here and think about 2023. Because how many Baptists have not badmouthed our government? How many Baptists have not badmouthed Fauci? Those in power. Those that have seemingly run everything into the ground by our definition the last three years, four years, whatever it might be at this point. Seems like a hundred. But what we'll perish in is our own corruption. These are sinners that we should be praying for, but we've marked them as enemies. These are sinners doing what they know to do. Maybe even among us today. That can only live one way because they've not been delivered from their depravity and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you those certain condemned creepers while they feast with you having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin beguiling unstable souls and heart they have uh, exercise and with covetous practices cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist, the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of, for of whom a man is overcome of the same is he brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it is happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is returned 
or is turned to his own vomit again. And so that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Something about, and we're not going to get into that second outline, there's something about Christianity that I want us to understand this morning. It's not going to feel the way our lap of luxury and depravity did. It shouldn't. And if Christianity for you feels an awful lot like it felt when you were lost, you probably don't have Christianity. You're not living right. And it might not be something you can do much about if you are lost, but if you do know the Lord and Savior, if you have proven your election to be true and sure, stop letting excuses keep you in a life that feels too familiar. Following Jesus is different. There's not one of these disciples that we've been looking at on Sunday afternoons that uh, are going to be different at the end of their journey. They've already, with where we're at in the study, it's already very different for them than it was before. Matthew's not doing what he did. The fishermen aren't doing what they did. But it's way more than profession uh, as far as work goes. They are learning how to pursue Christ Jesus. I almost wish the Lord wouldn't even allow us to pronounce the sentence, I am a Christian, until we understand who Christ was. Because we deceive ourselves. That's what Peter's warning about here. We deceive ourselves. We live like we always lived, or we're trying to do Christianity like we did life, as though we're the Roman Catholic Church, adopting heathenistic practices such as Ishtar and Christmas and Saturnalia and all these things just to get our numbers up. Christianity is not about living a better version of what you had before. It's about living like Christ. Which is exactly what Steed read in Colossians 3. There's a verse there in the beginning of that chapter that just in passing between the commas confesses that Christ is our life. If you cannot confess right now that Christ is your life, and your life exists outside these doors. My life exists outside these doors. If Christ is not your life at work, if Christ is not your life at home, if Christ is not your life in entertainment, if Christ is not your life in any drive through other than Chick-fil-A, He is not your life. He was about the work of the Father His entire time on this earth. He was about the work of the Father the entire time before the earth was created before the foundation of the world. And every time he appears sword drawn, he is about the work of the Father. What is our excuse? What good reason will we present to Christ Jesus that we took some time off? That we took a break? I understand in 2023, we don't really understand what a serious commitment is anymore. We treat marriage like a turnstile. That's not how it is with God. We need to get into our Bibles. We need to redefine these things that the Lord ordained, that the Lord created, the way He defined it, not the way we're comfortable defining it. We've got a journey ahead, folks. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. We've got a journey ahead. If you're not squirming right now, you're not listening. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in church. It doesn't matter how much you know your Bible. God's people will squirm at times when he turns that pressure on. And if he turns that pressure on, it's because he's expecting us to follow. He's expecting, when he says, who will go for me, 
for us to rise up and say, I will go. I will go. Steve said one time, no soldier should die untrained. We're being trained today. We might be trained again this weekend by the four preachers that are coming. Something big is happening. Something big, beloved. Could be that he's coming again. Could be that we are well below his expectations for waiting and watching. Praise the Lord for his long-suffering and his mercy that he would even endure us this long, but then also send a wave of energy to prepare us for his return. Embrace it. He does not love on those who aren't his. He loves like this on those that are. I pray the Lord gives us strength. I pray that he applies the salve to heal our hearts and wounds from this day. These are tough messages. More tough messages are coming, I think. Beloved, it falls right in line with discernment. For far too long, we've waited for someone else to tell us what is right and wrong and then to follow. We don't have time to wait anymore. 